Let's go ahead this morning and, uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Or excuse me, not Romans, John. Let's start with John. Uh, John chapter 8. <clears throat> We've been uh, talking about things in regards to the, um, the Christian warfare that we go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, <clears throat> The, the main idea, again, as we look at what happens in our Christian life, uh, in an individual basis has a, a, an immense effect on what the church does. Not just, you know, us as a God's Word Baptist Church, but the church, the body of Christ as believers. Uh, and we know very specifically, as we've talked about, you know, the devil has every desire to try to stop the work of the Lord. And in order to do that, he will go straight after uh, those that are trusting Christ as their Savior. Uh, he will try to find every opportunity and every, if you will, uh, gap in the armor to go after to try to bring a Christian down. We, we we talked a little bit about uh, uh, knowing the enemy last week, and uh, you know knowing certain things about obviously knowing who is out there that is against us, and also understanding at the same time that while there are external, such as uh, if you will, devilish influence, um, there is also the affection of the world and how it impacts our life. <clears throat> So we know the world and the devil are against us, and we also know that at the same time we battle our own will and our own desires and our own temptations. And very clearly we have to know that enemy, we have to know when to flee, we have to know when to resist, um, but part of that is also knowing how to resist. We also know, need to know when we should be trying to prevent an advantage over us. We don't want the devil to get the upper hand in our Christian life. And sin is one of the ways that that happens and occurs. And if he can get an individual Christian to, to be in a certain mindset where they're succumbing to sin, the end result is, is it will produce an ineffectual, uh, effort for the things of Christ, uh, as, as a group, as, as believers together. Sin is a very, very, very uh, powerful, um, uh, uh, if you will, force, a powerful, uh, um, uh, it's just powerful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's something that can really drag somebody down. But obviously, compared to the power of Christ, it, it is little. It is nothing. Because it is, you know, obviously by the power of Christ that he can do away with that sin, the forgiveness of sins, the the uh the the washing away of it and and we're very thankful for that so we we don't want to have the the devil try to get an advantage in our lives or get a foothold if you will um and that often happens through careless living we use it as an example Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 where it's talking about uh um anger and it says uh, be ye angry and sin not and it makes it very clear in the second part of that, that if that is happening, that you, if you are using anger in a sinful manner, the devil will use it against you. Um, and it behooves us that we as Christians have to maintain 
a vigilant watch and a vigilant, uh, if you will, um, uh, guard over our emotions, our thoughts, and the affections. And, and last week I kind of mentioned that there's so a few things that we have to, to take a look at. And, and we're going to look at some of these in a little bit more detail and a little bit more in depth here. But I, I, I want to focus on how this stuff starts um, and how some of the influence of the world and the devil can impact our lives and what the end result is. What the end result is, is as, a, as a Christian can happen and occur. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the tactics of the devil. Now, again, like I said, we'll kind of go through detail these a little bit more, but but just to kind of go through a bit of a, a list here, the, one of the first things that we understand is that the devil will attack God's providence in your life. How God provides for you, how God cares for you, how God does things in your life, the devil will attack that. You go over to Genesis chapter 3 and what did he do? What did he do? He, he attacked God's providence. Not only did he attack the word of God, but he attacked God's providence and said, well, you get to eat all of this, but you don't get to eat that. He began to question, put some doubt in there. The devil, the devil will, uh, will weaken a Christian's life when they're with a mixed multitude. Uh, there's multiple things that are, are, are very clear about that. When there's a, a, a mixed multitude, meaning uh, uh, the influence of an unbeliever in a Christian's life, uh, we see that there are problems. Uh, we should be very careful about who we hang around with, who our friends are, who we allow to influence us. And uh, when we start mixing with the wrong crowd, we start winding up having issues. This past Friday, we had... Um, our, uh, you know, the, the Friday fellowship with the teens <clears throat> question was asked about, um, Balaam. Why was, why was God angry with Balaam when he told Balaam to go? Um, and, uh, we, we kind of looked at that and you go over there to Revelation chapter two and you find out exactly why. And uh, the reason is, is because Balaam was entering into it with a heart that he was going to use deceit. Now, obviously, he went and he couldn't curse the nation of Israel. He wound up blessing them. But we find that Balaam perished in Numbers chapter 31 because of his iniquity, because of what he did. He taught Balak, the king that wanted the Jews cursed, to cast a stumbling block in front of the nation of Israel by uh, having them associate with his people. He said, you know, kind of the mentality of, well, if we let uh, let uh, some of that in to the Christian life, it's going to have a huge effect. You know, Paul talks about that. And again, we'll get to these, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, right? So we allow a little bit of that influence in our life. It can cause a much larger impact than we do. So obviously we know that when we when we are weakened, through allowing that mixed multitude to affect us, we, it leads us into rebellion. It leads us into uh, iniquity. It leads us into murmuring. The devil will also uh, try to bring compromise into our life. <clears throat> compromise. 
Um, a good example of that would be uh, Jeroboam when he took the ten tribes um, and Rehoboam had the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. Uh, Jeroboam didn't want anybody to go down to Jerusalem fearing that he would lose the kingdom. Even though God had promised him the kingdom, he was afraid he was going to lose his kingdom and therefore he decided, I don't want anybody to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to make two calves and Dan and Beersheba and I'm going to have them go worship there. Rather than Jerusalem. What did he do? He set up idols. He set up idols to compromise. To compromise. And many times we will set up idols in our life and the devil will tempt us to do that. Now again, as I go through all this, I want us to understand that while this, these are very devilish attacks, we have to understand that there's a lot of influence in this world today that leads us to do these things on our own accord. On our own accord, meaning we don't have to sit around and wait for the devil to tempt us. Look, you know, the devil doesn't sit around and, and, and wait for that opportunity and go, oh, hey, here's Ken Stewart. He's got a moment of idleness. Let me go in there and just quickly tempt him. Now, usually the influence of the world and the things that have happened in past experiences is usually enough that we don't need that temptation. We just go to that temptation because of some of our innate desires that we have. So we have to be careful with that. <clears throat> and, and, and when we think about this, these, these attacks lead us to a certain mindset. This is why we were talking about in Philippians when we were studying it on, uh, on, on Wednesday about the mind of Christ. One of the key things that, uh, that these attacks and what these will do is it will, uh, bring us to a point of where we will disregard and we will be unthankful for God's providence. We won't be content. And, and I will tell you this, unthankfulness and malcontentment in a Christian's life is, 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 is not just, you know, leaving the door, the door ajar or unlocked. It's opening the door wide open, you know, double, uh, uh, double French door open style, just letting the devil in. It lets sin right in the door. So we have to be very careful with that. Because here we are talking about, uh, those are some of the attacks. We will uh, obviously weaken ourselves when we do mix the world with God. A perfect example would be some of the progressive Christianity that exists today. The progressive Christian movement began uh, not under the name progressive Christianity, but began under what was called the emergent church. And because the world cannot comprehend the thoughts of God, they cannot comprehend that, quote-unquote, a holy God would send somebody to hell. Well, let's just be very clear with that. We sent ourselves there by our own sin. That condemnation came because we were the ones that did it. You know, somebody will say, well, you know, uh, that judge is going to send that murderer to death row or that murderer to, uh, in the states where it's still allowed, uh, to, to, to the execution. No, it was the murderer's actions that did it. The judge just is issuing what was given as a sentencing for the law. God said that he must deal with sin and he will deal with sin a certain way. And the end result is, is he will say, okay, here's where we go. If you have sin in your life, you will, uh, you know, obviously be put in a place of punishment, a place of fire. 
which is brought upon by ourselves. We also know that if we set our own idols in our own heart, uh, uh, we, we as believers, let's just be honest about it. We know that's not God. We know that's not God. Now, now look, I, I understand an individual that sins in ignorance because they don't know. You look at the world today and a lot of the actions and things that they do out there, they don't understand that concept. And as a Christian, as you begin to grow, you find out more and more things about what is sinful. This is why it's important to understand certain sinful actions and what happens and the consequences of them. You know, uh, you, you, you wouldn't expect somebody that is an unbeliever to think that pride is a bad thing. They don't think that way. You know what they think? They think pride's a good thing. You should be proud of yourself. You should be proud of other people. But when God starts talking about pride, he never speaks favorably of it. Matter of fact, he calls it an abomination, <laughs> the proud look. So we have to be very understanding in that regards. So they may sin in ignorance. And when a young believer does that, we, you know, the, there is that understanding that they, they are committing those those iniquities, and Leviticus 4 points that out when he starts pointing out and saying, uh, you know, uh, here's what happens when a person sins. When it's brought to their mind, they need to go confess it and make it right. But it's still considered sin, though. But here's what happens when we as believers understand there shall be no other gods before him, and we go about setting up another God in our life that we worship, that we believe, that we devote all of our, our energy and our resources and, and, and our everything to. We come to a conclusion that, hey, we know that's fake. And he even talked about it uh, specifically with the nation of Israel. He's like, you know those things are just wood. And we talked a little bit about that. You go over to, to Jeremiah chapter 10. Everybody, everybody's got their opinion on what Jeremiah chapter 10 is, but let's just be honest what Jeremiah chapter 10 is about. Jeremiah chapter 10 is all about idolatry. About the guy that goes out there, chops down a tree, carves it, plates it with gold and silver, and bows down and worships it. Knowing that he just created that with his hands. That's what that, that, that chapter's about. And what we begin to realize is that people will do that in their own lives. They will go out and they will create their own idols, just like Aaron did. You can't tell me that Aaron did not know what he was doing was wrong. You can't tell me that the nation of Israel knew what they were doing was wrong. They just saw the the, the army of, of the Egyptians destroyed they just saw 10 plagues and they walked out with enough spoil that they were the richest nation i mean come on and then all of a sudden it's like they're gonna turn they knew exactly what they were doing let's not kid ourselves and I'll tell you this, when we start compromising, that's when those idols begin to, to show up in our lives. The progressive Christian church has done that. 
They come alongside, and if you will, they set up their idols, and because they can't, you know, even comprehend that God would send somebody to, to, to hell because they don't think of their sin as sinful, exceeding sinful, they can't comprehend it, so they're sitting there making up doctrines about, oh, you know, in the end, everybody's gonna have an opportunity to trust Christ as their Savior. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says that the great white throne judgment, your name is found in the Lamb's book of life, good. If it's not, you're gone. I think it's pretty cut and dry. There is no saying, hey, can you just write my name down in there right now? You know, there you are standing in the queue waiting in line to get up there and you see all these people screaming as they're going and you're like, ah. And you walk up to, you know, the angel that's kind of keeping everyone in line and like, hey, hey. Hey, if I slip you 50 bucks, can you get my name in there? <clears throat> First and foremost, the angel's like, you don't have 50 bucks. <laughs> and, and, and second of all, no. <laughs> you didn't trust Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior here on earth. Why in the world would you trust him now? Well, it's real now. He told you it was real. And, to, and guess what? It's real right now, too. So, yeah, they, again, they compromise and they create a false doctrine that's responsible for sending people to hell. That's a, that's a sad thing to think about. But again, this is part of the devil's tactics. In John, uh, sorry, I didn't get to the passage here in time. Uh, John chapter 8, um, John chapter 8, again, we've got, you know, Jesus talking with these, um, with the Jews here, and uh, <clears throat> they're, they're they're having some questions, and we see that it's the scribes and Pharisees in verse three uh, that have brought this woman in the midst, um, and uh, they're trying to accuse her. And he goes through the process of of saying uh, that he that is uh, without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And then they all disappear, and then he begins to to go through in verse 12 where he starts speaking to them again, starts talking to them about certain things, and the Pharisees are still struggling with all of this. Um, they start accusing him of being a liar. And if we see in verse 13, it says, The Pharisees said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. So the very first thing that the Pharisees do is they start accusing uh, Jesus Christ of being a liar. Well, they accuse him of a few more things as they go on uh, uh, further uh, further down the, the the road, and they start talking about um, about uh, the heritage. Um, in verse thirty three, uh, they said, "We be uh, Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man." So very clearly, they say, okay, we know exactly where we come from. They, again, you know, in verse 39 are saying uh, to Jesus Christ, Abraham is our father. And they're trying to to basically say that he's a Samaritan and a devil, as they say down in, in verse 48. So now they're accusing him of, uh, of being a devil. They're accusing him of lying. They're accusing him of lying about uh, who he is and where he came from. Um, they are, are making sure that they're t- basically telling him, you're not even really a Jew. When he's more Jew than all of them. <laughs> and, and, and he goes through all of this, but Jesus Christ makes it very clear here in verse 44. He says... Ye are of your father, the devil. 
Now, he makes it very clear that they do not have, while their flesh may be, it may, may be of Abraham, their spirit, their mentality, their heart is not. He says, you are of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. And here it says, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what I want to focus in on that specific passage is we see two things that he's doing here. And these are things that, that, that we're going to have to really take a look at of what some of the tactics are and the attacks that the devil uses to wage this war. And, and he uses two that we'll talk about. And one is deceit and the other one is the temptation. But what we find here with this is with these lies and temptations, there is a consequence to it, and that is the loss of life, the murder. Now, I will say this very clearly, that once when we get into a mindset where we as a Christian are, are heading down that path of sin, we are entering into a mindset of, if you will, self-murder. A Christian can't do that, or I should say shouldn't do that. We shouldn't get into that mindset. Because again, the, the, the whole concept behind all of these things that we see is that all of these things are used to weaken the Christian, They're, to weaken their fighting ability, so that the result is, is that there will be a weak church. This is, this is exactly Satan's tactic. He wants to weaken you and he wants to weaken the effectiveness of the church. One of the reasons that we see, I mean, and today a lot of people will sit there and say, well, the church hasn't done, you know, what they were supposed to do. The church hasn't been out there evangelizing. Uh, and, and look at the mess that we're in today. We've got people fighting over the right to murder. We've got people, you know, just uh, uh, constantly, uh, uh, you know, theft on, and, and crime on the increase and, and, and all of these uh, vices and substance abuse and everything that's going on. And people look at the world and they go, what? What's going on? And, and a Christian will often say, well, 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 the church has failed. Well, let's, let's be honest about where, where the failure begins. The failure begins in our own heart. Because if we are not fighting those inner battles on a day-to-day basis and being victorious in them, how can we expect the church to do the same? You know, and again, this is where that compromise comes in. This is where attacking God's providence comes in. This is where that mixed, if that mixture, if you will, comes in, where people are sitting there mixing the things of the world and trying to, if you will, justify their sin. That's one of the biggest mentalities. I mean... We probably at some times in our life has either said it ourselves or we have heard it when a person is rebuked and they are confronted with their sin and the conviction comes that what they have done is wrong. There is a response that should occur that is, is, is godly, but often will the case is, well, it's not that big of a deal because everybody does it. Who hasn't done it?
If those words come out of your mouth, you have lost a battle inside. You've lost a battle. I'll be very clear about this. If all of a sudden you say, well, everyone's doing it, what are you, a lemming? <laughs> How many of you don't know what a lemming is? Okay. Those lemmings are those little creatures that, that, that they just, for some strange reason, all seem to do the same thing. So one lemming decides to get the bright idea to run off a cliff and they jump off a cliff and they plunge down to, you know, to, to their deaths. All the rest of the lemmings are like, hey, this is a great idea. And you get this herd of lemmings running off and these little rodents running off a cliff. I remember seeing that when I was a young child watching that in a, in a documentary, just looking at the horror of it. I mean, all these cute little things. Oh, oh. <laughs> Like, what, 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 Bobby, what's going on? <clears throat> but isn't that kind of the way that we behave? We as believers should not get into that role. We shouldn't get into that mentality. You know what we need to do? We need to stand in Christ with the armor that God has given us and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, everyone else is. That's not the excuse. We can't, we can't use everyone else because again, then it becomes a collective mentality. And I'll tell you this, that, that right there is also a worldly deception. It's a deception of the devil. That's his intent. That's his purpose to deceive. And he deceives in a collective thought. Do we not know that there's this push for, for as scripture talks about, that one world under the Antichrist? And we all look to it. We look at, you know, there's the one world government and there's the one world religion and there, everyone's talking about what, the, you know, the one world religion is and they're talking about it some sort of, you know, Chrislam or something of that nature. Now look, the, the, the world hates anything having to do with God. So they don't want to try to bring that in. You know what they want to do? They want to do Romans 1. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge, and they want to become humanistic, which is exactly what progressive Christianity is, is it's humanism disguised as Christianity. They just slap some new names on there and to make it look good and to deceive believers into thinking it's good, to becoming weak and ineffective for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And all of this weakness begins, and we look at our country and we go, man, we need to return to God. You know where the, but again, the revival starts in our own personal heart. If we want to go that direction, you know what we start doing? We start getting rid of the sins. We start eliminating them. We start getting rid of that, 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 that mentality. We get rid of the, the loose Christianity and we get rid of the worldly thinking. Uh, there, there's a good example of a case study um, that I saw in some uh, some Christian counseling books, and there was this young lady that um, she was, uh, you know, uh, really, really liking this one guy, and um, one thing led to another, and the end result is, as the the her friends who were unsaved began to encourage her. To do things now, this one lady that we're talking about, she's saved. Okay, she's a born again child of God. She's a believer. 
She goes to church. But she's being convinced of the world to do worldly things. She engages in worldly activity. And then surprise, surprise, she's pregnant. Now what? She begins to to have some fear. How do I hide this? What do I do? What happens in my life? Everybody's going to look at me with shame. There's a lot of thoughts that come into the, into mind, and she begins trying to figure out what she's going to do. And 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 guess what her her, her some of her first thoughts were. Because it was being influenced by the world. And she sat down in a counselor's office and she said, I can't believe I'm actually contemplating murdering my child. Now, praise God, she did the right thing by seeking that. But you know what the world was saying? Don't worry about it. Your parents won't even have to know. Your, your, your parents don't have to know. Everything will look like it's fine. It's not fine. <laughs> it's not fine. You know what that the, the result of that damage would be? Is it will weaken her as a Christian later on in her life. Let's not kid ourselves. The devil will use that. He's a liar and he will use that against us in such a way to weaken us later on in our Christian life. Look, you want to talk about long-term strategy? The devil's got that down. He's far better than Elon Musk or Bezos or, or Bill Gates or, or the Illuminati for that matter. If you, believe, you know, that type of junk. You understand what I'm saying is he's got the long-term thing down. He's, he's in it for the long haul. He's into it to the bitter end. Still thinking that he can get God to sin. But this is not what, what we should be doing. And, and again, we take a look at these two, two, two methods and, the, and look, there's plenty more, but let's just kind of start with these two where we're talking about the, the, the lies and the deception, which he identifies here and the temptation, the temptation that comes. Uh, let me give you another example of, of some, some of this mindset. Turn over to first Corinthians chapter 10, first Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> The first Corinthians chapter 10 is, is really good when it comes down to the, the, the nuts and bolts of what we really shouldn't do. Because he, he, he goes down to this and he starts talking about uh, some examples. He talks about the first part, you know, Moses, the nation of Israel. And in verse 6 he says, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He starts off with, okay, so we know lust is bad. Let's not do this. Goes into the next one. He says, neither be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He says very clearly, they became idolaters. So we shouldn't be that. In verse 8, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three thousand or three and twenty thousand. 
for committing that act. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And then when you go down here to verse 9, he says, Neither let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And he says, look, these are things that you don't do. These are all examples. We, you know, we can go and we read the nation of Israel and we look at them and go, how obtuse could they possibly be? I mean, seriously, you know, I just mentioned it over there. They saw all those great things of God. Look, if you saw the Columbia River part and you were walking across it on the other side of Oregon, you would you would think, and we like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, what are we going to say? Oh, man, I'd absolutely believe in God. As Abraham told the rich man, though one raised from the dead, they won't believe. And one did raise from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. But there was also eight others. <laughs> but, 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 you know, we sit there and we think about all of that. And we, we, we go through that mentality. We start thinking about all of these things that God did for him, and we sit there and we go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to be an idolater. I'm not going to commit fornication. I'm not going to tempt Christ. I'm not going to murmur. I'm going to watch my mouth. We don't we, we don't get there, do we? Because this often happens. We often do these things. And he says in verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He says, take this as an example and an example. They are two different words, but, but he, he's saying, he, he, here, here it is laid out for you what to do and what not to do. And you go down here a little bit further, and he says in verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, here, here, here's the church at Corinth, and the reason why he's writing this is because the church at Corinth is sitting there going, oh, look at us. Aren't we good? We're followers of Cephas and Apollos and Paul and Christ. We've all got our own special doctrines. We've all got our own special verses. We've all got our own special songs. Look how godly we are. And sin was just running rampant in the church. Not only was there just, you know, sexual immorality going on, there was, there was spiritual immorality. They couldn't even sit down and have a Lord's Supper together without them wanting to kill each other, it seemed like. There was divisions among them. That's not the way that they were supposed to be. And here they are thinking of themselves, well, we're Christians. And Paul's making sure, he's like, you need to be careful. Because you think you're all that? Guess what? You're going to fall too. You will fall too. Because he says in verse 13, talking about all these things that we look at, he says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 
And they had idols set up. They had men set up as idols. They were worshiping them. They were worshiping them. They were worshiping themselves, which is even more disgusting. So as we look at this here and we continue to go on, we realize and we go, man, Church of Corinth, man, they're carnal. Again, let's go back there to verse 12. Wherefore, <laughs> let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know what? We've constantly got to make sure that what we're standing on isn't just a thought, but is an actuality. That we know we are standing in Jesus Christ because of him, because of his power, because of his armor, because of his word. Otherwise, guess what's going to happen? That that dart is going to find that little itty bitty gap and it's going to go right through it. One moment we're going to lower our shield of faith. We're going to act in some complacency and the end result is, is we're down. We're a casualty. So when we begin to look at what happens here, we begin to realize this is something that's common. But I will tell you this, this becomes a, a, a this verse, verse 13, sometimes people use this out of context to justify their sin. Because they will, they will talk about it and say, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Oh, that's a common problem. Everybody has that problem. Everybody has that problem. I'll give you an example. Today, or a few years ago, I should say, uh, people would say that, uh, that, you know, pornography was not as prevalent as it is today. The invention of the internet has made it accessible to everyone. So what has happened over the past, you know, few decades is its prevalence in Christian lives has increased. So much so that a majority of people will say that, quote-unquote, it is a common problem with all men. And they will say that as a justification of the sin. They will say, well, everybody looks at it, so it's like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, just to be clear, it has grown in prevalence that some of the majority of users today are women. They they, they view that material. It's, it's becoming so much of a problem in churches that that it's 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 just running rampant. And the the main reason that it runs rampant is because they say, well, it's, this is just common for this day. And it will actually be to the point, and, and, and this is going to thoroughly disgust you, or it should thoroughly disgust you, where some pastors, when approached about it, and, and somebody says, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm guilty of this sin, what do I do about it? Then a pastor will just say, oh, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's just, just as long as you don't indulge too much, just, just be careful. No! For the love of God, as it says in Scripture, God forbid. Don't let it become part of your life. You know why? That what happens? That weakens the Christian. That's all that person will think about. 
It's as powerful as a drug as any opioid out there. Because it affects the heart. And I will tell you, spiritual addictions are sometimes ten times more dangerous than physical addictions. But I will tell you this. Let's not discount the physical addictions either. But those are often symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is that nobody wants to stand on the standard of God's holiness. Nobody wants to stand on the standard of God's righteousness. And we just want to excuse it today. It's common. Don't worry about it. No, you should worry about it. And this is how you worry about it. You go through the corrective process. When the rebuke comes, you, 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 you respond biblically. You, you let the conviction come, you let repentance happen in your life, and you begin correcting and you restore what needs to be restored, the relationships the way they're supposed to be. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when we, when we look at these lies and these deception and this temptation that occurs, all these things lead to that mixed, uh, you know, worldly influence and thought process and, 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 uh, um, and that, as I said, that self-murder. You know, when a person begins to have that, that thought process of like, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal, you're telling yourself a lie. When somebody says, oh, it's not that big of a deal to drink just a little bit of cyanide. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a huge deal. You know what? That's how we have to view sin. All sin. Big, small, great. And if you've got a whole bunch of small sins in your life that you identify as as some, some issues, that you're sitting there going, well, those are okay. Yeah, I understand that. You know what you have to do? You have to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is a heart that is not affected by the things of God, but then has been affected by the things of the world, has been led into temptation, and we've been deceived by our own lies and the lies of the devil into thinking it's okay. We have to get to the root. We have to get to the root. I mean, these are all devilish practices. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. This deceit and, 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 uh, and temptation is, is, it's all a, Tool of the devil. And I want to point this out. Now, we know Jesus Christ has many names in Scripture. We also know that Satan himself has many names. We know him as the dragon. We know him as a serpent. We know him as an angel of light, as he's called. Uh, we know him as the prince of the power of the air, often referred to as the god of this world. Uh, we often know him as uh, the devil or Lucifer, uh, anointed cherub that covereth. But take a look at what we have here in this passage in Matthew chapter 4. And it says in verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up uh, of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But take a look at verse 3, what it calls the devil. And when the tempter came to him. When the tempter came to him. It says the same thing over in in, in 1 Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
First Thessalonians chapter three and in verse five. <clears throat> Hold on a second here. Just a second. Why did I write down the wrong verse? Hold on. Say again. Is it there? Why am I looking at what's going on here? <clears throat> okay, well, you guys are looking at it, right? I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> what's going on here? <clears throat> but very clearly, obviously, it calls them the, the, the tempter right there in chapter three, verse five. The first Thessalonians. <laughs> One of these days, you know what? I look forward to having a glorified body. Because when you're sitting there looking at uh, verse 5, and you're looking at verse 5, and you're going, what's going on? What's going on? Why? What's the matter with me? And then you have this dawn moment where it just the, the Lord just kind of gently comes up to you, and you're like, <clears throat> looking at verse 3. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm losing my mind at this point in time. <laughs> Verse 5, it says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter having uh, have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Again, there we have a tempt. He's called a tempter. Let's go over to the book of Revelation. <laughs> Man, alive. <clears throat> Everybody always thinks of, you know, being a pastor of some prestigious position and, and things like that, like you can never make a mistake. Praise God for, for, for number one, for the forgiveness of a congregation. <laughs> and just, and just realizing, yeah, we know what you meant. <laughs> and just moving on. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll tell you this, God has a way of making sure that we all stay humble. So praise the Lord for that. Revelation chapter 12, in verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, which or called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now again, I want us to focus on this, the deceit part. Not only he's a deceiver, but he's also that tempter. It says he deceives the whole world. This is his mentality. He, he's been going about to do this for quite some time. This is his game plan. This is what he wants to do. Go over to Matthew chapter 24. I know I'm going to have several passages here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24. In verse 24, here he is talking about some end time prophecy stuff. And what is he saying here in verse 24? For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Let's not kid ourselves. 
We are all in that category of being deceived. We deceive ourselves. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. We understand that's us deceiving ourselves, deceiving our own hearts, telling ourselves our own lies. And what's really horrible is we know we're telling our lies and we choose to believe it anyways. And we sit there and we look at people that do that and we go, oh, good grief. I tell you, when we sit there and go, oh, good grief, how could somebody do that? You just told yourself a lie. Because you will do it all the time too. (laughs) It's common to man. But it should not be common among Christians. It should be avoided at all costs among Christians. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll close with this one. We've got a few more verses about this this mindset of, of Satan and what he does. And we begin to see how this influence affects us as Christians. And we can begin to see this and build up this case and figure out what his tactics are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's capable of blinding people. He's capable of blinding people. You want to know how I know that's possible? How is it that any biologist can sit down and say evolution is a valid scientific thought? After they viewed what the world is and what comprises this world, what the world is made of and what is out there, they look at all of it. You know what the end result is? They go, that's not even, that's not God. We, 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 we just, this all happened by chance. Really? If that's how by chance, then we should all go out and buy a lotto ticket. Because that's, the, the odds are ridiculous. But what we find is, is that the God of this world blinds, deceives, and tempts. So we have to be very careful as Christians. As believers, we have to be on the utmost guard about what affects us in our life. And we'll get to, um, uh, some further details on this, uh, a little bit next week, but let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. And uh, then we'll come back for our uh, Sunday school hour, or uh, main service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just uh, get into your word, see some of the tactics that are there, and Lord, uh, possibly receive in our hearts some conviction, and some realization of how we need to be living our Christian lives. I pray, Lord, that as we continue this study, that, Lord, you would use it to influence and shape us to be Christians that glorify please you on a day-to-day basis. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that this uh, 11 o'clock hour would be blessing to all of us through your word. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.